0: I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm talking to Travis Albritton, founder and host of Honest Podcasts and the Practical Christian Podcast. Travis worked for a, for a time as a campus minister at Georgia Southern, and then worked as a mechanical engineer for Lockheed Martin. Now he runs his own company, helping businesses with strategic content marketing. His podcast, actually he has five podcasts, has over 360 episodes. He lives in Florida, and listen today as I talk to him about why he started a podcast, how to start a podcast, what are the pitfalls and challenges of podcast production. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Hey, guys, the CLIMB conference is coming up November 30th. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas. Have you registered yet? You really need to be there to get inspired, get tools for growth. People like Joel Nagel are going to be coming with a full toolkit of help for you as a minister, as a ministry leader. You're going to go into 2024 fully ready with a full calendar and a, pre- a preaching plan. I mean, he is loaded for bear. He's going to be so helpful. You'll be able to listen to people like Sean Wooten, Kevin Miller, Dave Blyly preach the word on how to grow your ministry and yourself. We've got so many good speakers, so many gifted people who are going to help you to grow spiritually and to grow your ministry. And you're just going to get encouraged by being around idealistic Faithful followers of Jesus. Register today at robskinner.com if you haven't already. I'm looking for a leader, a team, and money to plant the Green Valley Church in September of 2023. Green Valley and its neighboring city of Sararita are some of the fastest growing cities in the state of Arizona. It's just a booming, booming area. I want to share this. There's been a couple driving all the way up from Green Valley with Karen Kalaric, whom I, sh- I interviewed a few episodes back. And nearly every Sunday, not joking, one or both of them will cry after the lesson. They'll come up, they'll squeeze my hand and say, I needed that so much. Thank you so much. And they'll thank me for preaching the word to them. And they are fired up and they're so eager to get baptized in the next several weeks. And so when I see the passion, the desire for God in their face, I think we need a church for them and people like them. There's so many people that are hurting, who want to hear the gospel, who are, are open they're just waiting for the good news. They, they're waiting for the people to present the word to them. And that's why I'm looking for a leadership couple, team members, and money to plant this beautiful area of Arizona. If you're interested in leading or going on a mission team, email me at rob at If you can't go on the team, but you'd like to support the planting with a tax-deductible gift, click the link in the bottom of the show notes. And select the general fund option i'm really excited today because i've got on the program travis albritton and travis has been an inspiration to me as i've got my own podcast going travis has just really torn it up and has almost like 400 episodes five podcasts going and is really an expert in this area of serving disciples by giving them practical help on how to be a disciple so I look forward to talking to him. Travis, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob. Grateful to be here.
0: Now, we haven't we live on opposite sides of the country. We did run into each other briefly in Georgia, but it's really a pleasure to talk to you directly. Thank you for making the time.
1: Oh, absolutely. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Yeah.
0: Well, Travis, how did you become a Christian?
1: So my parents were both converted in the crossroads movement back in the 80s in central Florida. And then eventually kind of co-opted into the ICOC. So I grew up in the ICOC. I'm a blue-blooded kingdom kid through and through. <laughs> uh, remember Kingdom News Network and, you know, these uh, multi-hour prayer sessions for special missions and, you know, kind of growing up in kind of the zeitgeist of the ICOC in the 90s. But, uh, you know, I think my parents were very wise in allowing me to chart my own course spiritually. And really wanting me to make my own decision about God. And so it wasn't until high school where I really decided, okay, you know I'm doing a pretty terrible job of running my own life. Maybe there is something to this whole <laughs> following God thing. And uh, you know and, and the great thing about growing up in the ICOC, which had such a strong Bible study culture, was I knew exactly what I needed to do to kind of get clarity, which is find someone I trust, who can teach me what the Bible says, and then I can make a decision for myself. And as I started studying it and you know, going through the first principle studies and, and doing some additional ones as well, because um, I had a healthy skepticism about God and the Bible, uh, it, the Bible just came alive in a way that I'd never experienced before. And so as I started to implement the things that I was reading and really trying to wrestle through my own human nature, uh, I, I saw the value of not only following God, who I was now very confident existed, uh, but that what he had planned for my life was infinitely better than anything I could create on my own. Mm. And so both in an eternal sense of like, you know, wanting to go to heaven and not to hell, but then also in the very real present sense of I want my life to be purpose filled while I'm here and to make the most of it. Uh, so for both of those reasons, for me, it was pretty clear that, okay, I I really want to become a disciple. So I became a Christian, uh, and, and got baptized May 10th, 2006. So I've been a Christian for just over seventeen years, as of yesterday.
0: Wow. Okay. Congratulations on your sp- yeah. spiritual birthday. Are you married? Single?
1: Married. Two kids. So my wife and I met at a campus training program in Atlanta, ironically enough, uh, at North River back in twenty ten. Uh, she was, you know, going to school, or I just graduated from the University of Tennessee, and I was at Auburn University. And so we're in the kind of same region of ICOC churches where, you know, campus ministries will get together and things like that. Uh, so that's how we met. We did long distance for a couple of years and then got married. And now I've got a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son who are just all kinds of bananas, but it makes life very interesting. Wow.
0: Okay. And what's your wife's name? Andrea. Okay. Andrea. Now, does Andrea work or does she, does she work in your business or...
1: Andrea is able to stay home and, and watch our kids full time, which is she works more than I do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> That that was that was what we both really wanted. Uh, we we both really wanted her to be able to stay home, um, especially with the kids when they before they went to school, which they're both currently still at home full time, uh, just so that we could really shape our family culture and um, have that freedom and flexibility to do that. So Wow, that's, that's really nice. So,
0: Okay, so you mentioned Auburn. Cam Newton comes to my mind. Uh, yep. Did you ever run into him on campus?
1: No. Uh, you would think, you know, how do you miss a six-foot-five football player? Uh, <laughs> but I think Auburn at the time had like a 25,000 student population. And so, and, and the football players basically kept to themselves. So they would have practice in their own part of campus. They had their own dorms, their own food. And then... They would just kind of like come out to class and then go right back. So unless you were in a class with a football player, you, you really didn't see them.
0: That, I mean, that's amazing that you were there. You won a national championship that year, right?
1: Yeah, me. I did. Yes. <laughs> uh, I contributed <laughs> some season ticket uh, revenue. But uh, no, that, that was a fantastic uh, experience and uh, definitely one of the highlights of my my college experience. That's, that's being a huge football fan. So oh, you are okay. So
0: yeah. I, I think it's kind of a birthright, mandatory if you're from the southeastern part of the United States that you
1: have to love football. Yes, college football <laughs>
0: specifically. Yep. <laughs> okay, so can you give a little bit of a overview of where you've been since you graduated in 2012?
1: Sure. So. After I graduated from college, I did a one year challenge. So this is pretty soon after um, Tom Brown had, had put forth this idea of why don't we create an avenue and a vehicle for young people that want to take a year off, whether it's in the middle of college or right after college or early in the career, to just focus on ministry for a year before they continue, you know, forward with whatever the career trajectory is. And I was one of the first people to jump onto that. And which was really great because at the time I was convinced that my path led led me to full time ministry. Mm. That uh, you know, typical talented young person. It's like I'm destined for great things. I have so many <laughs> talents. Everyone tells me how talented I am. Uh, I've been put in this inc- this leadership incubator. Le- you're, you're laughing because you know these are all the things that a 21 year old hotshot thinks internally. <laughs> Um, you know, and so, so I'm just destined to be like the next, you know, kingdom mover in the ICOC, <laughs> you know, and so I went on this one year challenge and, uh, went to Georgia Southern, which is a, a university in Southeast Georgia. They had a campus ministry of six people and they commuted in an hour to go to church to the nearest closest church in Savannah. And so I was like, I'm going to get there. We're going to turn the place upside down. We're going to have like a (laughs) hundred baptisms and then I'll get to choose whether I go on staff at Boston or New York or LA, you know, or maybe they'll send me international. Who knows what God is going to do with my, my epic skills. So naturally none of that happened and I was completely humbled and it was the best thing for me because one, uh, I learned unironically god is much bigger than i am and he can do all kinds of things outside of me he doesn't need me he would love to partner with me (laughs) but not at the expense of my humility and him receiving all of the glory so after that i started pursuing full-time ministry but every single door uh shut and i had just gotten married and i was given an opportunity to work for a small company in savannah using my engineering degree which i thought i was never going to use i was like great i got an airspace engineering degree i'm just going to do ministry my parents were super thrilled. Uh, and I had this dilemma of, do I do that? Do I become gainfully employed or live with my in-laws, which would be a great first start. Like I'm the best man to take care of your daughter. Can we move in with you because we're broke? And rather than me get a job, I'm just going to work for the church for free. So got lots of advice and all the advice pointed in the direction of be a responsible adult so I did, and so we lived in savannah for about a year and a half. Uh, and then ended up getting laid off at that job and finding a job in Jacksonville so we were able to move to Jacksonville we've been here for the last eight years or so uh, and it's been phenomenal really loved investing in the Churchill bit, church here building the relationships here. Um, and it's just been a great time of refinement and growth and maturity for me as well, so that's kind of the the course to where we are now from from where we started in college.
0: Okay, so you you started as campus minister,'t didn't, didn't quite work out like you planned. I just have to chuckle because I just it, it sounds I've thought those that way many, many times. But then it's really interesting. you you, you worked as an engineer, you are an aerospace engineering graduate, so you were essentially a rocket scientist. Is that right?
1: That's accurate.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's some some brain power there. And you worked for a a defense contractor, Lockheed Martin. Mm -hmm. And how'd that go?
1: It was interesting. So aerospace engineering is one of those fields where it sounds really great. And the pitch is great. Like you're going to work on airplanes, rocket ships. Like who doesn't want to do that? Sure. But then the number of jobs that are available that you would actually want coming out of college is maybe less than 1% of where aerospace engineers end up landing. So you're talking SpaceX, NASA, you know, maybe Boeing, working on 747s and all the fun jobs, the design jobs, those are like reserved for senior engineers (laughs) that actually know what they're doing. And so as a young kid out of college, your options are basically like work as in a manufacturing facility, as someone with technical knowledge or put in 80 hours a week somewhere making, you know, just above the poverty line, To earn your stripes to work your way up to eventually get to where you want to be and so all the jobs and the careers i was interested in pursuing uh i wasn't willing to make the trade-offs to have a healthy life as someone who wants to follow god invest in ministry and in my family and so so working at lockheed was really more about kind of putting that adult hat on and saying this isn't the dream job but it'll pay the bills right and that was kind of my approach while i was there for three and a half years
0: Okay, but then you decided to go off on your own. Now you run your own business. Okay, that's a big step of faith. Tell me about how you, you decided to do that.
1: So it's, it's funny. There's actually a middle step there. Um, so while I was working at Lockheed, I started an online teaching ministry. So this would have been 2016. And what I was fascinated with was how do I combine some of these online business elements that I'm seeing other people have success with with a teaching ministry so I could basically be fully self-supported in the full-time ministry, that was the idea. And so as I'm pursuing building that on the side, then I have an opportunity to, to use some of those skills that I gained specifically in podcasting to switch careers and work for a podcasting company called Buzzsprout. And I worked there for four years as their head of content, basically teaching people how to start, grow, monetize their podcasts. And so that intermediate step is what allowed me to pivot into what I'm doing now, where my business is actually producing podcasts for businesses and uh, influential individuals. Uh, And so that's kind of how it transitioned. And each point in time was definitely like a God moment where it wasn't something I expected or anticipated or was really pursuing, but it was one of those things where like within a couple of days, it becomes really clear like, okay, this isn't something I was going after, but it seems pretty obvious that God's behind this. So let's see that where this goes. Mm. Um, so going from starting the idea of having my own business to actually being able to do it full-time was about seven years of working and building and trying things and failing and investing in things and having the investments not turn out. You know, I probably put somewhere between 250000 and $300,000 of my own money into different business ventures until I got to where I am now. And most of them failed. And so it wasn't like I I just decided, you know, I'm gonna start my own business, I'm gonna do my own thing. And then everything lined up, it was definitely a lot of hard work to even figure out what that business would look like, what would be something that was deeply fulfilling to me, but also had the potential to support my family. And so, so yeah, so it was definitely a bumpy road in the middle there. But Okay. On the other on the other side of this, it's it's a fun story to tell in Russia.
0: <laughs> okay, so that just brings up so many questions. First of all, where the heck did you get $200,000 or three hundred thousand dollars to invest in a business? I mean, that's that's
1: a ton of money. So some of it's real estate. So uh, my wife inherited some money from her grandfather that we put into a house, and then when we sold the house, I took some of the equity from that sale and put it into it. Uh, But then also just uh, piecing together personal loans, pulling money out of retirement accounts, doing all the things that financial investors and analysts say you should never do. And I just (laughs) completely ignored all that advice. Uh, You know, because everyone has to chart their own path. And sometimes you have to learn your own lessons. Uh, And so, and it was over a period of years. And so if you break it up to like 40 or 50K a year, most of that time I was on salary somewhere. And so... So I was able to basically piece together enough financing to to try different things. And I made revenue in there as well. So it wasn't like I was negative 300. I was it. probably negative 100, 120 over that period of time. So I made some money, but I spent more on the effort of self-education to figure things out until I could gain enough traction to do it full time. But the idea
0: of starting your own business, investing that amount of money I mean, that's really risky. My image of an engineer is pursuing security, safety, the well-trodden path. So there's got to be an element in your character of, hey, I'm just going to take some risk here. What Can you talk about that?
1: So some of that is uh, the way that I've come to think about faith and what it means to be faithful. And... I don't remember if I read this somewhere. I probably did. I probably didn't come up with this. It's too good for me to come up with. <laughs> uh, but, but how I think about living faithfully is living in such a way that your life falls apart if God doesn't step in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, this idea of, you know, I think about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, one of the tests as he's going to find the Holy Grail is there's this big canyon and this chasm, and it's called, I think, the Leap of Faith where he has to blindly put all his weight forward and step out into the abyss only to discover there's like this hidden path that's going to take him to where he needs to go and i think about faith in a very similar way where even if you look at the bible and the figures in the bible it's very rare that god initiates evidence of his actions and support before he asks someone to take that leap of faith right it's usually trust me and i will come through but you have to take the first step, and then I will do what I've promised to do. And so I've really tried to live my life that way where, you know, and, and it's not 100%. It's not like I have this, you know, unique direct line to God and he gives me like unique feedback. But, you know, trying to live faithfully and really wrestle through that, what that means for me has always come down to how do I actively pursue all possible opportunities? Make calculated risks when necessary and trust that even if it blows up spectacularly, that God will take care of me and my family. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know where we're going to live. I don't know if we're going to be on food stamps or not, but I know that the bottom, the worst case scenario is better than I could ever anticipate. Um, And so having that level of comfort and security that, yeah, it might not work out like God's still gonna take care of us mm. and make sure that our needs are met. That gives me the, the confidence and the, the assurance to try things that would seem risky. Uh, but obviously it's you're going for the upside the promise of what could be and being willing to grit through the hard work to, to see that happen. Um, but it's funny because even when I look back at how I started, and what I envisioned, it would look like it's totally different. And way better. But, you know, I could have never known back when I started this whole endeavor and trying to work for myself um, where I would end up. And so it's been really cool to see how God has answered certain prayers, said no to others. I mean, there were like years of just desperately asking God to step in and make something happen, only to hear silence on the other end. So it's not like it's been this great, you know, mountaintop experience the whole time. There's plenty, there's been plenty of, you know, valley of the shadow of death going on (laughs) but you know i I don't know any other way to live except to try and seek what is it that i can do in this moment to glorify god to pursue the things he's put on my heart as as someone who's creative in the same way that he is and really try and live as an image bearer uh, that involves risk right and so I'm, i'm perfectly comfortable taking risks calculated risks not stupid ones um knowing that at the end of my life, I'll probably look back, and the things that I'll regret are the the chances I didn't take, not right. the ones that I did. Right.
0: Oh, I I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, last night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was just thinking, oh, I'm working on a, a new church planting in southeastern Arizona, and just, you know, thinking about it, worried about it, and just praying to God, God, you gotta, you gotta come through here. And I, I mean, that's both the the burden and the excitement about like church planting and spiritual adventures. It's, you're right. I mean, I just love what you said, living in such a way that if um, your, your life falls apart unless God steps in And, and it's so true. I mean, after God steps in, you're like, I knew he'd come through, but before that it's, it's, you know, you're forced to your knees. You're really forced to, to rely on God. Okay. So, you work for buzzsprout from 2016 to 2020 is that right
1: it would have been 2018 to 2022 okay so that was after
0: after your time period with lockheed martin okay so Mm -hmm. that must have given you a ton of great practicals on developing i mean you must have been able to adopt a lot of of stuff and implement it into your own business and so what i what i get is that you were also working nights kind of developing your own business at the same time. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So while I was working full-time by day in the evenings and on weekends, I would basically work on my side hustle. And this was a constant conversation with my wife. We didn't have any kids for the first half of it about, you know, this investment will be worth it eventually. I don't know what eventually is going to happen, but eventually. Um, And so, yeah, so I I had a full-time job and then a second full-time job. That was un- basically an unpaid internship to myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did that for six years, six years before I was able to shift to it to just having one full-time wow. job.
0: Wow, that's amazing. It reminds me of Nate Shadley. I interviewed him a few episodes back and in starting a new business, he he got laid off from a job and he decided. Okay, he told his wife, "I'm going to work 40 hours a week, starting one company, and another 40 hours a week, trying another company, just as a, an insurance policy." <laughs> and he did it, and he got him off the ground. So, so basically, you're working full time with Buzzsprout and full time, and you've got to do that. So, let's talk a bit, a little bit about why. Okay, why'd you do this? Why? What's driving you to start a podcast and a business? Uh, I mean, it's not, it's more than a podcast, but if you can talk a little bit about your motivation in getting it going, I mean, that takes a huge amount of motivation to work two full-time jobs and really stretch yourself that much.
1: So I think some of it is, I'm just driven. I'm just a driven individual. And so once I have in my mind something that I want to accomplish, once I see a path to getting there, then it's just a matter of putting in the time and the effort. And so, because I'm very goal oriented, very driven, uh, I'm perfectly happy sacrificing my short-term comfortability in order to pursue those kind of longer-term endeavors. And I think with podcasting, you really have to have a long-term view of it because it is—it can become a grind very quickly. Of oh yeah, I really don't feel like it, but I need to schedule another interview because I got an episode coming out in three days. I gotta schedule it. I gotta edit it. I gotta write show notes for it. I gotta tell people about it so they listen. Like it—it becomes. (laughs) It can become very quickly a huge burden Mm. if you don't have a driving why behind it. Right. And so I think for me, it's a couple of reasons. Most of my content is Christian focused. Most of my podcasts have been. And so part of that is just recognizing the talents and the gifts God has given you and finding every way that you can to use them. So I certainly feel not the weight of responsibility, but I get excited about the opportunity to use the spiritual gifts God has given me to serve others and the podcast has been, just been the way that I've chosen to do that. So the one that I have been working on the longest the practical Christian podcast. That one really came out of a desire to share the training and investment that I had received as a young leader and kind of democratize it and just say here's what I've learned from experience from other pastors other ministers other evangelists that you can use as well. In order to grow in your faith be a more effective disciple more effective leader and so just feeling this opportunity or seeing this opportunity. To use my talent use my gifts and to share that knowledge with others and and then just like the feedback, the feedback of hearing from people having people walk up to me at marriage retreats and workshops and. Uh, conferences and tell me how much the content that i've created has helped them is really, I mean I don't do it for that. Uh, My sinful nature is definitely very self-serving. So I'm very, I'm hyper aware of my tendency to inflate my ego. But for me, I think it came out of a sense of joyful duty and obligation to God to use whatever resources at my disposal, to use my talents and my gifts to serve others. And that's still mainly the driving factor from the content that I do. One of the other podcasts that I recently worked on, uh, probably the one I'm most proud of. Is called women in the church that i did with a sister here in jacksonville where we spent something like 20 hours 20 hours was the end like uh how long the episode ended up being in totality doing a deep study of women's roles in the bible and how they intersect with the church and and bringing on teachers and experts and really compiling a resource that somebody could go through they're like can women preach or not i don't know I hear this perspective. I hear this perspective. I don't even know how to process this question. And you know, I haven't made any money from it. I haven't been like actively promoting it. Like, see how awesome we are that we made this resource (laughs) that everyone loves and talks and says good things about, but it was just because like, I saw this need and I saw an opportunity for me to, to come in and meet the need. And, and that's really, for me, when I think about podcasting, when I think about content creation, it can't be about building a platform for yourself. It has to be service oriented if you're going to do it with the kind of heart that god rewards so for me that's i think the driving factor
0: but you're so young i mean you're you're 33 i mean you, you want you wanted to develop a teaching ministry in 2016 that's seven years ago you were 26 i get i go okay maybe 56 but 26 you want to start teaching i go that's pretty ambitious i mean I think of a teacher in the church, I think of uh, a gray hair or a blue hair, you know, teaching pretty, you know, that's pretty early. What, were, were there any uh, thoughts like, hey, this is imposter syndrome here. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stepping up to the big, big time here.
1: Def, I mean, so I definitely recognize like once once you put on the teacher hat, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Right. right? For better or worse. Like we can tell people to be Bereans all day long but if they trust you and then you pontificate on scripture and say this is my thought or opinion on how to properly interpret this you've now influenced somebody else to follow in your footsteps and so so i recognize the weight of that and so i really tried to stay in my own lane of i'm only going to talk about things that i've had personal experience with and anything where it's iffy i'm going to tell people like i'm not 100% sure about this right. these are just my initial thoughts right right And so i think how you position yourself helps so i never positioned myself as an expert in things that i wasn't it was more about here are the best practices that have worked for me and kind of fielding questions and here's my take on this question here's my take on this verse and and really just sticking with things that i felt competent in and not trying to uh punch above my weight class when it came to bible teaching and, but there was certainly some some imposter syndrome. And so I did some things to kind of help with that, you know, so I wrote and published a book on small group leadership, because that's, you know, a feather in, in your cap. If you're a Bible teacher, oh, you're a published author. Well, you must know something. You're not just, you know, spouting stuff on the internet. Um, started speaking at conferences on various topics. But, but I think for me, yeah, there was certainly, you know, some like, who's this 26 year old kid telling me how to be a disciple? And I get that. Uh, but in my opinion, there aren't enough of those. Right. Like right. You, need, you need both. You need the wisdom right. of disciples that have been around for decades and have seen and experienced so much to be able to lend insight. But you also need the zeal and the passion of younger generations. Exactly. And you, you need to have both. Mm-hmm. Each party tends to see the other as an obstacle. So younger people are like, when will the old people leave and get out of the way so we can <laughs> really take ownership of this thing and uh, I move it forward? And all the older people are, I'm obviously speaking in broad strokes, looking at the younger people being like, we tried that and it didn't work. Or I'm not so sure that you have the skills to be able to do what you think that you can do. Or I'm not really sure that I trust you to lead the church because of our personal interactions or your lack of experience. And so, so there can also be like a wait until you're older um, mindset towards younger people. Uh, and also just like a disconnect about the things that just generationally are different. Mm. You know, so if you're a boomer or Gen X, you see the world through a very different lens than if you're a millennial or Gen Z. It's just a part of the culture of the day and age that you grew up in. Right. And so there's always going to be those generational tensions. And that's not new. Like that's, that's a tale as old as time. Um, but I, th- I think empowering younger people to step up and whether it's create teaching material in the form of a podcast or really try and use the, the gifts that they've been given to make forward headway with the guidance of those older influences i think that's all you know, like thinking about the icos in general like that has to be the future right. or else we just kind of become a, a shell of our former selves until we die on the vine right I mean, that's.
0: I'm so happy you're saying that because something that I've felt really strongly in the early days when I was growing up spiritually, it was very common for people in their early to mid 20s to go out and lead churches and and take on large, you know, lots of responsibility in the kingdom. And as our family of churches has aged, that's totally the exception now. I mean, if you're in your 20s, you're just you're still a pop and you're, you know, you've got another 10 or 15 years before you're going to do anything significant. So you are the exception. You're the anomaly of starting at 26, which I think is really should become the standard, you know, so to speak. So, I mean, what, what led you to go into podcasting? Is it your voice? I mean, you've got, you've got the perfect AM radio voice of all time. <laughs> um, was that, was that a factor?
1: I tried all kinds of things so you know this back in 2015 2016 I tried writing like I tried starting a blog and as anyone who's try to start a blog will tell you after three or four posts you're like man I really don't like this like I really don't like this process and no one's reading it because it turns out there's like a you know a billion blogs on the internet so how are you going to get the airtime that you want to to actually you know so unless you just love to write like don't start a blog. And so I'm <laughs> in that camp. Even when I wrote my book, I basically recorded a series of lessons and then had them transcribed and edited the transcripts. That's wow. how I wrote the book. That's... So I didn't even write it. I just I just spoke it. <laughs> um, and And when I was getting started, I was trying to decide between YouTube and podcasting. And ultimately, the financial barrier to entry for podcasting is much lower. You just need a microphone and you can use free software to do everything else. And so because I was trying to be... As smart as I could in the beginning, uh, that's kind of the direction I went. And I also loved that podcasting was a growing medium and I saw an opportunity to fill a gap that I didn't see. So I was one of the first daily Christian podcasts in the world. So back when it started, the practical Christian podcast was literally every single day, even Saturdays and Sundays. Uh and so so that was kind of like a combination of those things, but I also loved that it didn't matter what I looked like. I could just (laughs) roll out of bed hair, all disheveled, you know, and, uh, and just talking to a microphone and nobody knows like you can just record in your closet or, you know, wherever nobody can see you, they just hear you. And so I liked that. And I also liked that with audio, you have the opportunity to, to really be intentional where with video, it's harder to cover up mistakes with audio. You can just cut stuff out and nobody even knows. Right. So, uh, so for those reasons, I just kind of loved podcasting as a medium and saw a first mover opportunity for Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you're early on for sure, especially, um, I mean, I didn't know of anyone else who was doing it like you. And when I started getting into it in 2020, I looked around and you're really the only one that I knew of who was doing something with, with podcasting. Um, let's talk a little bit about that initial stage. What does a person need to know to get a podcast started? Cause I do get that question from time to time. Like I've thought about it. I've considered it. What does a person need to know to get a podcast going?
1: So I think the hardest thing to figure out is what are you going to talk about? That's the hardest thing to figure out. Cause, and, and also what is your, what are your goals for it? Why do you want to start one? Are you hoping to become famous to be on the short list of future world sector leaders? Don't start a podcast, <laughs> go have some more quiet times. <laughs> all right. But you know, so, so if, if the whole point of the podcast is to gain clout or influence, I I would let's let's first talk about that. But uh, let's assume that your heart's in the right place. Like you have a service heart, you want to use your gifts and talents, you want to host conversations, and and not have to deal with the tr- traditional gatekeeping that other mediums have. Great what are you going to talk about and why should people care those are the first two things that i whenever i'm working with a client somebody who i'm bringing on to produce their podcast those are the first two questions i ask because people are hyper selective with the podcast they listen to it's not just a general sports podcast it's a podcast that follows their favorite team which you can't get on the radio like they those don't exist and so once you figure out like what am i going to talk about and what is my reason for talking about it? Then that informs the kind of episodes that you put together, the kind of people that you interview. And you really want it to be an extension of you. You really want it to be an extension of your expertise, your experience, because that's something that no one else can replicate. right? right? But then also consider like, what need is this meeting for people? Like, how is this actually going to help people? Because it's one thing to just say the things that you want to say and record it and publish it and, you know, promote it it's something else to record the content that somebody else needs and have that kind of mindset, right? It's like as a preacher putting together a lesson or a sermon based on your personal quiet times. And that's the framework. Like this is what I learned this week and it was great, <laughs> but there's no, there's no thought or consideration for what do you actually do with this? Uh, podcasters can fall in the same trap. They kind of just talk about the things they want to talk about with without really any consideration for how it's going to serve the person listening. But then once you figure out all that stuff, the, the actual execution of a podcast is relatively straightforward. You need a microphone so you can record yourself. Uh, there's a $65 one on Amazon called the Samsung Q2U, which is the one I recommend for most people, and it'll make you sound great. And then you can use free software like GarageBand or Audacity, which is a podcast recording software that you can download and use to record your audio, edit it, add music, If you're doing interviews you can use a platform like zoom which is what we're using to capture those conversations and then you can use free distribution platforms as well so uh, i use paid podcast hosting platforms just because they give you some better features but if you're on a budget and you're just trying to get started for free uh, spotify has their own hosting solution red circle is another one Uh, buzzsprout's the one that i i worked for and and still use and recommend And those plans start at about $12 a month, but then it's just a matter of recording conversations, putting them together in a way that's easy to listen to, and then distributing them so that people can listen to them. So it's actually a relatively simple workflow. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's only a few steps Mm -hmm. to get from an idea to something that you've published. Uh, Most people stop around episode seven, like 60, 70% of podcasts. Mm. Because you realize, oh, even though it's simple and straightforward, there's still a lot of work involved. And every episode is like a whole, is its own project. And so, but if you have a really good why, and it's easy for you to talk about the things that you're going to talk about, like you don't have to do 50 hours of research for every episode, then it's just a matter of getting into a rhythm and a cadence and, and doing it because you love it.
0: Okay. I... Totally want to go off on a sidebar. One thing that really stands out to me about you is you're so confident, okay? You're young and confident. Where'd that come from?
1: I have no idea. Uh, Confident to a fault, I would say. Because sometimes that confidence is misplaced, right? Um, Yes, the other day I was uh, riding with some friends in the car and we were going somewhere. They didn't know where we were going, and I did. I was like, oh, it's just right around the corner. No problem. I'll, I'll give you directions. <laughs> 30 minutes later, we arrive. And they're like, that was not right around the corner. So, so some of it is just optimism of just just seeing the best in the world and wanting to have that good eye mentality that right. Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. You have the the good eye and you have the bad eye. Mm-hmm. So a good eye referring to someone who sees abundance of opportunity, Mm -hmm. abundance of resources, and wants to live generously, Mm -hmm. and then the bad eye, meaning that you're very stingy, you hold on to what you have, you are slow to share with others, and really see everything as a zero-sum game of, if you're going to gain something, it's at my loss, and Mm -hmm. so we're in active competition, which if you realize it's not about do you have 2020 vision or not, that whole section of the Sermon on the Mount starts to make a little bit more sense. Uh, but but I think it's just having a general sense of optimism and, and, and seeing that as crazy as the world is, God is still actively at work. Mm. And and then some of it, too, is just. You know, I, I don't. I've, I've experienced a lot, mm. even as a young person. So like we were talking on the phone before we, we started recording a year after the church had been planted, I showed up as a freshman at Auburn University. And so there was twelve people in the whole church, so I, I love, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it, because then you're not just a member; you're also a, a worship leader, and a Bible talk leader, <laughs> and you know you're also helping with you know setting up the chairs and setting up the AV, and you're the one passing out the flyers, and, and you're doing you're wearing all the hats, and everyone's doing that because there's literally only twelve people to wear the hats that hundred people normally would. Uh, but my freshman year. The couple that was leading the church left in November for financial reasons. This is around the Great Recession, stock market collapse of 08. And so because it was a new church planting, it was being externally funded, that funding dried up. So they ended up getting called back. So I had a full-time ministry couple for three months, the first three months of college. Then there was a single brother who came and helped lead the church my second semester. And then the last three years I was there, we had no one on staff. And the church grew from 12 to over 60. Wow. In that three-year period. Not because we were special, but because God will do what he's going to do, right? And so I think moments like that where I've been able to see God work and then, you know, kind of going back to the discussion we had earlier about living faithfully, I don't think it's a confidence that I have. I think it's just a confidence that I have in God, right? I've seen him do enough to know that, Like, God is so much bigger than any problem I'm trying to overcome. If this is remotely within his will of what he wants to do, then it'll be successful. And if it isn't, I'm totally fine with that. Because at the end of the day, it's much bigger than me. Like, I'm not the main character in the story, Mm. right? I'm just, like, playing a supporting role. I'm custodian number three in the credits (laughs) of the movie, right? And so because God's the main character, like I can be confident that whatever is going to happen is exactly what he wants to happen. And so I think <laughs> that's that's where a lot of my optimism and confidence comes from. It's not because I think that I'm special, hmm. um, but it's because I know who God is. That's great. And he's demonstrated over and over again that he's more than capable of doing exactly what he said he would do.
0: Hmm. Okay. Thank you. Going back to the original question, getting a podcast started, <clears throat> anything else? that a person should just keep in
1: mind? Plan for it to be more work than you expect it to be. So you won't be surprised. And then I think the, the other gift of starting a new podcast is that no one's listening to it yet. <laughs> so there's always a tendency to want to be perfect or to make it sound like your favorite podcast, which for the most part, they probably have a team of 12 to 15 people working on it. So you're never going to be able to replicate that. Just, Don't, don't even make that a part of your calculus for how you're going to do it. Right. Uh, and so just embrace the fact that you're going to be a beginner in the beginning and you're not going to know how to do stuff, right? Or it's not going to sound as good as you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And that's fine because you're just getting started. Right. Like you have to go through those reps. And so, uh, if you can commit to a year Mm -hmm. of consistent content, whatever that publishing schedule cadence is, if it's once a week, once every other week, whatever you decide you can do. To give yourself enough time to become proficient enough that you're not necessarily having to wrestle with the day-to-day production of the podcast but it's more about the the more high level existential questions of do i enjoy what i'm doing am i finding value in it are other people finding value in it and is this the best medium for me to use to make that connection uh once you once you become comfortable enough with the process of producing the podcast then that's not a barrier anymore. And you can actually start to make more strategic decisions about it moving forward.
0: One thing I've noticed about your, your program, the practical Christian, it's, it's, your programs are very short, like eight minutes. I mean, very, very short. How'd you choose that length of time?
1: It was very, uh, it was a very practical reason. Uh, when it launched, it was a daily podcast. <laughs> and so, <laughs> If you're going to produce a piece of content every single day, then it has to be short. Because I wasn't just recording it. I was also editing it, writing the show notes, putting it together, uploading it, scheduling it, promoting it. So when you're wearing all the hats, you don't have as much time, like literally in the day, to record more than eight minutes at a time. Uh, but some of it too was just, again, seeing what other people were doing and more of the tendency was for... Kind of long-form one-hour interviews not there's anything wrong with that i think that's one of the beautiful things about podcasting uh but i saw an opportunity to kind of zig where everyone else was zagging right and to do more frequent shorter content that was more bite-sized right so it would almost be like complementary to a quiet time where you have a bible reading you pray and then you listen to like eight minutes of me yapping about spiritual tactics and then, and that could be something that someone would incorporate in their daily routine. That was the idea. Eventually I started adding in interviews and long form conversations, but for the most part, it's, it stayed true to the original DNA of really short, practical content, no fluff, literally. Cause I had no time to add the fluff <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how it took on its own, its own, uh, DNA. why did you put the pressure
0: on yourself to do a daily program?
1: So you talked about confidence earlier. Uh, <laughs> so with that comes, uh, you know, ignorance as well, right? <laughs> Whenever you're starting something new. Um, and, and so I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I thought, well, nobody else is doing this. It's probably cause it's hard. So if I'm willing to just like do hard work, I can make this happen some of it was because I was ambitious too like I wanted the podcast to be the thing that built the audience that could then turn into the full-time teaching ministry and so quantity is the fastest way to get there right you just pump out more content gives you more at-bats, more exposure, grow faster and so it was it was attached to my dream of how do I escape my nine to five as quickly as possible And so if I can be ambitious and put in the work now then, Maybe I can make that happen faster.
0: Wow. That's really amazing. You mentioned five podcasts. Can you list them?
1: So I have the Practical Christian Podcast, which we've talked about. Ministry Startup was my first podcast. And that was more of like a documentary style retelling of my journey of launching my online teaching ministry. It's really cringeworthy. It's still available. (laughs) You can listen to it. Um. You know, it was very, is very introspective, but uh, you know, is I was trying to basically capture my story of building something, um, and try and introduce drama, and turn it into a little soap opera. But uh, <laughs> so, so that was my first podcast, and it's still available. So there's ministry startup practical Christian podcast, small group leader secrets, is the name of the book that I published, which you can actually get on IPI, and. I basically turned it into an audiobook and published it as a podcast. So even if you couldn't buy the book, you could listen to it for free and get all the resources. Women in the church is a podcast that I did, like I mentioned earlier with a sister here, where we did like a front to back reading of the Bible, looking at the grand scope of how God has used men and women throughout the history of the Bible in various ministries and applications, and then tying it together to kind of our more modern questions about gender roles and what does that look like? And, Um, different hermeneutical styles and and it really became more of a reflection on how do you read the bible what kind of questions do you ask the bible and really recognizing that kind of questions that you ask lead you to different answers Mm -hmm. or different conclusions and so seeing that it's not there's not just one way of looking at a question and there's not necessarily one perspective that's more informed than others but it's looking at the whole prism of everything together to help you recognize how little you don't or you know how little you know and that maybe we should have a lot more humility and a lot of certainty mm. when it comes to how do we apply a 2000 year old religion to our modern day context? Um, you know? And then we just make up stuff all the time and pretend like we don't. So it's like, I can't find a lead evangelist role in the Bible anywhere, but we're more than happy to hand out the moniker because we've right. given, a, given it a certain weight, right?
0: right.
1: And then the, the fifth podcast is Honest Marketing. So this is a podcast that I created specifically for my podcast business And that's really just how to, how does being a disciple and being someone who cares about integrity, apply that in an industry that is not known for those things, marketing and sales, usually being more associated with high pressure, with manipulation, with sensational claims. And so how do you actually have a more measured approach to that that's still effective for growing your business? So those are the five Mm. that I've personally hosted that. Belong to me. I've also hosted several others. So I think you can probably find my name in about 12 credits if you look in a podcast app. But those are the five that were personal projects for me.
0: What, like, one thing that stands out to me is you have, it seems like you have a real strong passion about helping people who are working secular jobs achieve spiritual goals. I mean, do something great for God, which, I mean, I just, I love, I mean, I worked in real estate for about eight years and planning a church. I, I just, I love this aspect. And it, it's, it saddens me because in the past, and I think there's, there's times when people feel like, well, if you're not in the professional ministry, you just need to devote yourself just to your job and earning money or whatever, or you're, you're out of it spiritually or, there can be that kind of worldly mentality, depending on where your paycheck comes from. So can you talk a little bit about this passion you have to equip people who are working a regular job?
1: So some of it comes from my own history, right? So going back to when God humbled me on my, my one-year challenge, where I thought I was going to be, you know, the, the second coming of Elijah, and then it turns out I wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, pivoting out of that, I was then working a full-time job while still trying to serve in the ministry and it really gave me a renewed respect for people that did both right because when you're a young kid coming out of college it's like you have all all the free time in the world right you went to class 13 to 15 hours a week it's not <laughs> even a part time job right <laughs> and so then you look down on you know at least this is me i won't speak for all campus students but then you look down on other people you're like you can't even show up to minute to midweek like i don't care that you have kids with bedtime like be sold out brother like what do you right. let's talk, let's right. talk about this
0: right
1: you know uh and so i think there's definitely like a you know that sold out mentality which i know that term has a lot of weight and connotation within our context um it it lends itself to a certain judgmental attitude towards people that aren't as active in filling their calendar with spiritual activities but then being on the flip side of that and seeing like wow these brothers and sisters are actually way more spiritual than me because in spite of everything else that they're doing, they're still actively engaged in small group, getting with other disciples, coming to church, serving, volunteering, showing up early, staying late. I, I need to sit at their feet. Like I have so much to learn, right? And that's just one of those aha moments that you know I needed to have. And so some of it is that. Some of it too is once I realized you know, for better or worse, it doesn't seem like full-time ministry is going to be a viable path for me, or at least the door that God has opened for me. I wasn't going to allow that to keep me from investing in the kingdom, because that's the most important thing I can do with my life. And so then it was, it was more a matter of how do I figure out how I can invest and what I can do and what I can offer. And if there are things that I can learn that I can share with others so that they can do the same thing, like, why would I not want to do that? And so I think part of it is, is my own history of ministry, paid ministry and unpaid ministry. I think part of it is just on a very practical level. If you believe that everyone is here for a purpose and God has a plan to use them, right? why would you not want to figure that out? And what are the things we can do to make that easier for people mm. to actually like grease the skids, to make it easier for people to plug in and to figure out where they fit? Not so that you just box yourself into one particular role, but so that opens up opportunities for you to see how valuable you truly are and that just because you have to be like 99.8% of the world and work a job doesn't mean that God can't use you to do incredible things.
0: Let me talk to you a little bit about your stepping out, starting your own business. I know it's a long process as you talked about before, but it's also something highly desirable. I mean, it's a lot of people think about it. There's a movement, fire movement. Uh, yep. financially independent, retire early, people who are young like yourself wanting to earn money and and become financially independent, it seems like that's where you're living. Your wife is at home. She's a stay-at-home mom. You're working from home. You've got your own business going. You don't have to clock in. You're your own boss. How does a person get there? What, what advice would you give to a person who'd like to achieve that?
1: The first advice I would give is is probably not for you. <laughs> Let's just start there. Okay, so if you're thinking maybe I can start my own business, it's possible, but probably not. Statistically, the answer is no. Um, there's, some, there's some outrageous number of new businesses that are started every year in the United States, and 90% of them fail in the first five to seven years. So even if you start one, the chances of you succeeding are, are pretty slim. And I think there is certainly, from the perspective of someone who feels stuck in their job, stuck in their career there's a certain uh appeal to the idea of being your own boss but if you even just think about your own internal dialogue you're probably your own worst critic like no one critiques you more than you and so just imagine that you are your own boss (laughs) so basically the worst version of boss that you can imagine that now knows your inner thoughts that's who you work for when you work for yourself And so it's not like you're your your own cheerleader, your own pep squad, but it's so so that's that's something that you don't get when you're working for someone else. You can kind of outsource that mm. anger. And, and then the other thing is is you have to have on a practical level a marketable skill that people see the value in giving you money for, whether it's something that you personally are offering, a product you develop, you know, it's really, really hard to do these a lot of the the Tactics and strategies that I see online, the percentage of people that actually succeed are very small. And so uh, you have some sort of like a survivor's paradox where you don't see all the people that tried and failed. You just get, you see the success stories of people that right. stepped out on faith and, you know, were living on their sister's couch and had $23 in their bank account. And then five years later, they're multimillionaires driving Bugatti's. Like those people exist. There's four of them. You don't see the 40,000 that took their course and it didn't work. And so I think, so I'm, I'm basically saying all these things to convince you not to start a business because if you hear all of that and you're like, sign me up, then you should probably do it because the upside is you do get to have more control over your schedule and your life, right? So like next week, we're going to travel to go visit family. I don't have to request time off for that, right? I just approved it, right? In my head. <laughs> uh, on the flip side of that, you're also responsible for your own income. And so if you want to make money, you have to go earn it. No one's just writing you a check for showing up. And there's gonna be months where it's really tight, months where you have more than enough. And then sometimes you feel like, man, the, the pressure of everything is making me want to quit. And I've been there multiple times. Mm. And so I think it's it's much more of a roller coaster than having a, a stable career. Mm. But if that's something that excites you, the adventure of building something that could fail, and that's what makes it that much more exciting, then you should probably try and start a business. I just And have... then fire fire is interesting. <laughs> Go ahead. Because this idea of financially independent retire early is you know, work really really hard, don't spend any money so that way you don't have to work anymore when you're like 39 or 45. So then you got what, 50, 60 years left of your life? What are you going to do, <laughs> be a homesteader, just like grow corn? <laughs> you got to do something, right? Like they've done studies of this where people that retire and don't have something to do die considerably early, earlier than those that retire into something, right. whether it's a hobby, uh, volunteering, getting a job just because you want to have something to do. But God designed us to have utility like we're creators. And so if you're just lounging about all the time, just completely self-serving and I'm just going to watch Netflix and play video games and go to Buffalo Wild Wings with my friends, (laughs) that might be great for a month or two. And then you'd be like, well, I spent all this time trying to get to a place where I didn't have to work. And now I feel like my life has no purpose anymore. Mm. Because what am I doing with my life? Nothing. Literally just giving myself whatever I want, whatever kind of leisure or luxury I want. And so I think at least for me, and, and this idea of retirement is definitely a very modern Western idea. Right. The luxury of not working and still being able to su- support your own needs is pretty modern. But I just don't know how I personally would thrive in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Like I, w- I have to be doing something. Right. And so, you know, if, if speaking for me personally, I can eventually get to the place where I don't have to work if I don't want to. It's like, well, then what am I gonna fill my time doing that's of service to others if it's not in a business sense? And so if that's something you wanna do, build a big nest egg, become personally wealthy so that you can then turn around and be generous. If the activities, your day-to-day activities, you're not gonna be changing because you're still gonna be working at something, then maybe, just maybe, becoming a multimillionaire in your 30s shouldn't be high up on your list of priorities Right. Instead, it should be building a life that you don't feel like you have to take an escape from. Wow. And then you don't have to worry about when you can retire.
0: It brings up some questions, though, Travis, because I go, okay, podcasts, it's kind of pro bono. You're doing stuff to help people have quiet times, you know, other stuff like that. You're you're giving people some practicals. That's not going to bring in a lot of money. That's definitely not going to bring enough money to support a family of four. Can you, I know without getting too personal, can you share where your primary source of income and support is coming from or how you've monetized it enough where you can keep afloat?
1: Absolutely. So the podcasts themselves don't make money. They instead get me exposure to people that are looking for help to make their own podcasts and want to pay somebody to do it for them. So my agency primarily works with businesses, but some with individuals that are like, listen, I want a podcast. I don't want to do anything except record the content. And I say, great, sign me up, here's the bill. Every single month we'll create all these things for you and you'll pay me for that. And so it's a service that I offer from my own expertise. So I'm offering something that they can't do on their own and it's a done for you service. So it's not like, hey, I'm gonna teach you how to do it and you do it yourself. I'm literally doing it on their behalf. And so I can charge more for that. And then I've also been able to build a team that does the day-to-day work of actually producing the podcast. Like I've trained each of them how to do their particular tasks. So the business itself is not in the podcast. It's spinning off from, I'm very successful as a podcaster, so I know what works and what doesn't. And if you wanna tap into that and you want me to make it for you, here's how much that costs. And so that's how I'm able to generate enough income to support my family. But it's not from the Practical Christian podcast.
0: Got it. But it's a religious podcast. So how do you get businesses to go, okay, I need to talk to Travis here. He's a Christian podcaster and he's going to help me with my business. I mean, isn't there some sort of prejudice there involved? You coming from so, a religious background?
1: So uh, the the religious podcasts were initially created to then feed into paid coaching opportunities for Christians. So I had like a small group leaders program that I did with people like a course, um, I had an online ministry program where I teach people how to start online ministries and they could pay for that. So those Christian, the Christian content really fed into Christian products and services. It's the marketing podcast that really feeds into the business I have now, where I'll either use that as an opportunity to interview people around marketing and then podcasting is one way they think about marketing themselves or they listen to the podcast, say, Travis knows what he's talking about. We've thought about making a podcast, maybe he's the guy to do it for us. Mm. And so that's, that's how I connect those dots. Because uh, you're right, there is there are certain ethical dilemmas with uh, pay for play when it comes to spiritual services. Right. And, you know, I see people go astray with it very often. And now I have the luxury of not having the pressure of any spiritual content I create being tied to monetization which is a luxury. I recognize that as a luxury. Um, but it is something that I enjoy doing, being able to do that without any thought of whether it makes me money or not.
0: That's awesome. That's fantastic. Okay. So, um, going back to the, to the podcast, do you have a favorite episode that you'd point somebody to?
1: So my favorite episode, uh, I did an interview with Marty Solomon back in 2000 and, 17 or 18 so this was a while ago and i just cold outreached him said hey i love bema which a lot of people listening to this podcast i'm sure are familiar with the bema podcast i would love to interview you on my podcast and he said yes and it was his first guest podcast appearance and i loved it because it was an opportunity for me to just pick the brain of somebody that i admired and just ask the questions i wanted to, a- to ask him but then it was also cool to see how god used that moment to really introduce marty and bema to kind of like a water i why do wider icoc audience right um so recently he was in jacksonville uh because he just released a book and he was doing a book tour and uh, we were talking and he said you know travis this is all your fault like it all started with that podcast interview wow and uh, i said you're, you know you're welcome but uh <laughs> but i think like looking back That's my favorite episode, not necessarily because of the content, but because of how God used that moment to really bring another perspective into what does it mean to live a life as a disciple Mm -hmm. into our cultural context in the ICOC at the moment we needed it most. Mm -hmm. We needed an alternative idea of what it meant to be sold out in a way that was more holistically oriented and less militant. And I think that God has really used Marty in his ministry to do some incredible things and I'm just grateful that I was able to be kind of a part of that story
0: that that is amazing because it's he's become almost like Uncle Marty of the ICOC just kind of you dropped in and people listening talking about his his podcast the Bema podcast so I didn't know that that was connected to you so good for you that's awesome do you What's What's been the most challenging part of this whole process? Like when you look back, you go, whoa, that was quite a cross to carry.
1: There's a lot of weight that comes into being a public figure where now you're not just Travis, like I'm not just Travis, I'm Travis the podcaster, I'm Travis the host of. And then when you couple that with the weight that comes with teaching, typically as a Bible teacher, you're, you're looking into the eyes of your audience, right? You're seeing them, you're, you're engaging with them, you're interacting with them. There's, there's some sort of context and mutual understanding. And if you say something or slip up, the only people that hear it are the people in the room. But when you start broadcasting that kind of interaction, the internet never forgets. Mm. And so that's an extra weight of, you know. And, and one of the reasons why I try and only talk about things that I know is because once the cat's out of the bag, bag it's there. And it's not just like teaching people how to tie their shoes. It's teaching people how to follow Jesus. Like that's a pretty serious thing. And you don't want to be the one responsible for leading others astray. Right. And so I think the weight and and what I would encourage anyone who's doing a spiritual podcast to strongly consider is when I have to stand before God and answer for my life, is this going to be a highlight or a low light for me? Hmm. Is this going to be something that God looks at and says, wow, that was really great what you did. Or am I going to get into heaven in spite of it? <laughs> wow. And that's I mean that's like an existential question, right But for me that's that's how I think about it um, and why I try to be really careful with what I say on the air.
0: You, you've done a lot early on. I mean you're only 33. you're not you're, you're not even in your prime yet. I mean most people don't get into their prime until they're 40. What's up ahead? What's around the corner for you?
1: So I have a couple different things that I'm working on and tinkering with, um, professionally for sure, but as someone who grew up in the ICOC and truly has a love for it, the thing that I'm most concerned with and the thing that I'm, will likely spend the next several years working on is figuring out what's next for us as a movement, as a group of Christians, group of churches, because there's a reason that those of us that are still here are still here. Mm -hmm. Like there's truly something special that you can't find anywhere else. That's right. And and that was hard earned. Right? Like we went through a lot to get to where we are now. And I what I'm afraid of is that the the tendency and the trend that I've seen so far will continue, which is that there's gonna be a group that anytime anything happens, we circle the wagons, protect our own, bury our hands heads in the sand and and just pretend like this isn't a thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then on the other hand, you'll have people that are earnestly trying to figure out what does it mean in 2023 to be a Christian and once you open the open the box of we're not the only Christians anymore we don't have that as a as a motivating factor to get you to stay as a member of one of our churches so then it becomes more of an opt-in situation why should they stay and invest here versus somewhere else and I'm seeing more and more people especially in my generation and younger saying you know what Like if we're not going to be given opportunities to lead and you don't want to host the kind of conversations that we're interested in or that our peers want us to speak into, then maybe this isn't the best place for us to invest in spiritually in order to invest in the kingdom. And so I'm worried about that trend and I'm worried about making sure that we learn the right lessons, both from our past, but then also looking at other Christian denominations and groups. So that way the ICOC actually has a future that's multi-generational instead of it was really great when it happened, it served its time, and now it's on the ash heap of history. That's what I would like to avoid if possible, but I also recognize like God is so much bigger than the ICOC, so even if it completely crumbles and fails, it's not like it's all a lost cause. Mm. right? I think about how my life's been positively impacted by it, my family, my friends. And so even if it is just for this one moment of time that we've existed, I'm grateful for it. And I hope that everyone that's been touched by it can take the lessons and the experiences they had and use them moving forward because God is much bigger than any one group or people. But I would like for the ICOC to play a role in that moving forward if we can.
0: That's awesome. Really appreciate that. One final question. What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count?
1: So it's interesting you asked me that question because on the practical Christian podcast, I ask a similar question. So when I'm talking to somebody and doing an interview, I ask them, what advice would you give to someone who wants to make an impact for God? Mm. And my answer to that has shifted over time. But if I think specifically about your question, you want to make your life count, count for what? Like, what does that look like for you? Is it count for God, count for yourself? what do you want to be remembered for you know there's the eulogy example right what do you want people to say about you after you're gone what will they actually remember about you and then living your life in such a way that you can write that eulogy yourself but i I think ultimately that for me when people ask me that question it's what would make you feel like you gave god your best and what does that mean what does that look like for you right so if you're a single mother working two jobs that answer is different than if you're 22, single, right out of college, right? And there's no right or wrong answer, but I think it's it's just being intentional about the life that you live and feeling like you have some agency over what direction that takes. And if you can take those two things together and pair that with a desire to really see God glorified, I'm not sure if you can mess it up.
0: Travis, thank you so much for your time and all the best to you and your, your multiple businesses and ventures. It's... It's really refreshing to, to talk to you and to learn from you, and I just hope God blesses you tremendously going forward. Thanks, Rob. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Here's how you can help support the program. First of all, hit the subscribe button, and please send a link to your friends. Let them know about it. Secondly, read and review one of my books. You can find them on Amazon. First of all, it's how to plant and grow a church or courage, how to make this life count. Thirdly, support the program financially by clicking the link in the show notes and selecting the general fund. Your tax-deductible gift will help me multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no-regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.